Every good movie has a villain. Some are better than others. You are not sending me to the corner. If there were no villains, there'd be nothing to fight against in the movie and no tension to create a plot. While we have morally conflicted heroes very often, the best movies never make it hard to determine right from wrong. Thank you to uh, Satan for giving me inspiration. It's only in the postmodern era where we like to blur the line between right and wrong in order to suggest that there is no such thing as up and no such thing as down. And two plus two can actually equal five. That's why The Dark Knight, although great, is a deeply overrated movie. Sure, Nolan is one of the best filmmakers of our time, and Ledger's performance is great, but the idea that Batman and the Joker are basically the same is truly lame. No, you, you complete me. Batman and the Joker are the same in the same way Dylan Mulvaney is the same thing as a girl. See, we need villains but it's important that we identify who the real villain is. When a young girl who's been convinced that she's trapped in the wrong body goes into a Christian school to kill six people, it's important that we understand the villain here is a disturbed person with gender dysphoria. But there are those who wouldn't dare be honest enough to focus on that problem. They'd rather take the easy way out and make guns the bad guy. I'm sick of thoughts and prayers and, and the slaughter continues. Do these people think guns shoot themselves? Do they really know that little about guns? Oh! Oh, that burns! Oh, my gosh, David, let me see! Oh, God! I think that bullet just went straight between your cheeks. One would think when you hear old ice cream for brains Joe Biden tell us that an AR are only needed to hunt deer that uh, have bulletproof vests on. No one needs to have a weapon that can fire over 30, 40, 50, even up to 100 rounds. Unless you think the deer wearing Kevlar vests or something. Oh, Joe is never going to believe this. You really get the impression they know nothing about guns when they call AR-15s weapons of mass destruction. Last anyone checked, weapons of mass destruction look more like an atomic bomb or a COVID lab, maybe in Wuhan. Do these people even know that 60% of all gun violence in America is caused by handguns, while only 6% is caused by AR-style rifles and other shotguns? Do they want to actually talk about the real mass shootings that take place every weekend in Chicago? I didn't think so. The real reason the woke fools in political circles want to blame guns is because they don't have any clue what an AR is, and probably a good bit of them still struggle with just what the number 15 is. How is yeah. 2 plus 2 equals 4? How does that discriminate against black people or brown people? One stick plus two stick. Humans were like, hey, here's a stick, here's another. Because I only believe in science. And it's always true that you fear what you don't understand. More than that, it's the easiest and the dumbest way to make people think that you're actually doing something, making progress. And of course, the progressive left are make progress at all costs, even if it means running backwards. How can you do the moonwalk and ask a woman to dance? Hey, baby, come on, let's dance. See you later. So when emotions are high after a shooting, the mainstream media and Democrats quickly come to blame guns because they want to control the narrative. But this is merely a simpleton suggestion. Like, hey, if you have a homeless person, just give them a house and boom, you solve the homeless problem. So one of the big expenditures will be the purchasing and leasing, long-term leasing of motels and hotels. Take away every gun and boom, no more gun deaths. 
See how easy that was? Wait, you're saying homelessness is largely a mental health crisis and not a problem of housing? And wait for it, mass shooters in schools is a mental health crisis too? See, Democrats prefer simple answers because they can control people with simple solutions when those people are emotional and don't think for themselves, especially in the wake of a mass shooter going into a school. And so complex solutions don't suffice to people who are not thinking critically. <clears throat> a sphincter says what? But there is a third reason that people want to blame guns. They can't blame people when they blame guns. Or in other words, they can't blame themselves. He hates these cans! According to Pew, more Americans died in gun-related violence in 2020 than in any other year on record. Wait, during lockdowns, more people died of gun violence? How could that possibly be? Might it have something to do with BLM riots and the defund the police movement that was stoked by the political left in America? The real reason these people like these simple solutions and they want to blame guns is because they don't want you poking around realizing that they are the problem. They refuse to talk about mental illness because if they did, they might have to talk about how they exacerbate that problem with their ridiculous and inane rhetoric. All of this because the modern left does not know or care to know about human nature. Gee, the lack of humility before nature that's being displayed here. Um staggers they need to be social constructivists because they have to blame society rather than blame themselves they need to believe rousseau when he says people are born free but everywhere are in chains because they need to be free from the responsibility of their own actions and of course if they don't have god they can certainly blame society when they don't want to blame themselves for not believing in a higher moral good so point to the gun and they'll never have to point to themselves. This is why there's only two kind of atheists, those who don't know if God exists and those who don't want to know if he exists because it'll stifle their Friday night plans. Oh God, if you get me out of this, I won't drink again. This flawed view of human nature has caused the left to destroy everything they touch. Today on the show, I'll show you how the left's refusal to acknowledge objective morality has caused them to destroy even comedy, how it causes them to destroy the nuclear family. I'll show you that when our country is hemorrhaging money because of the left's policies, they're busy offering Zimbabwe $60 million to teach left-wing gender ideology, so much for rejecting neocolonialism. And I'll show you how religious the left can really be when they run to the defense of a woman who tried to demand reparations at her local target. If you want to see how crazy our world is getting under the oppressive left and what we can do about it, then follow me down the rabbit hole today on IndieThinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Element Home Loans. If you're looking to get in the financial market to maybe buy a home for yourself or even to try to diversify and secure your family's financial future by investing in real estate, now is a great 
time. Sure, interest rates are fluctuating all the time, but if you lock in today, you can go ahead and get today's rate, and then always you can refinance in the future. The reality is, is that the real estate market is still pretty difficult, but better than it was during the pandemic. Now is a great time to buy. More importantly, it's a great time to make sure that if you do buy, you buy with a company that cares about you. Why would you give your money to a company that hates you and hates the things that you stand for when you can give it to a company who will not only provide you with great customer care, but also will care about the things that you care about and you can support them. So if you want to do that, you need to go to kbmtg.com today and let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, I am fully unaware of the panoply of judge shows that are out there since Judge Wapner stepped off of the bench. Um, ever since that day, somewhere in the 90s, there have been numerous judge shows that I have not cared about at all, and that is true of the show I want to bring to you today, because paternity court sounds just about like a recipe for disaster on par with if Jerry Springer had bailiffs or something like that. And perhaps it is on a regular basis. Again, I wouldn't know because I actually care about doing things that are useful with my time, so I don't watch judge shows in my robe in the middle of the day while eating chocolates and crying into my own can of beer. Um, so I don't watch these shows because I don't care about them at all. However, there was one clip that recently went viral on social media that, that absolutely deserves your attention from the show Paternity Court. So here's that. It has been determined by this court. Mr. Rasmussen, you are not the father. <laughs> Miss yes. Miller. Be respectful. I'm sorry. Miss Miller. I'm sorry. Yes. That's a lot of nerve considering the alternative is somebody that don't want nothing to do with you or your child. I'm sorry. That's a lot of nerve. <laughs> You just showed me where your priorities were right there. I'm sorry. Because I held out hope that you weren't just acting a fool because you so mad at him because he cheated on you that you would cheat your child out of a father. But that cheering you did, what you cheering? I'm a single mother with nobody that loves me or my child. What you cheering for? Wow. I absolutely love that woman. Uh, not only for her propensity for the truth, but for exposing something that needs to be exposed. And that is this, that the feminist movement in America has, has created inroads with people that you wouldn't even suspect that it has. Or might I say, people who have never officially studied feminism, know nothing about feminism, second wave, third wave, or even first wave feminism. And to say the word would only conjure up for them like a Beyonce music video or something like that. These people still have been impacted by the ideology of feminism because of how ubiquitous it is. And here we see feminism at its finest, even though this young woman probably doesn't know that she is a victim of this morally and spiritually bankrupt ideology because here she is rejoicing over the fact that she has no idea who the father of her child is. Or if she does, it's not the man that she had in her life that was helping her raise that child. So this independent woman can shout and scream and rejoice over the fact that now her child is absolutely fatherless. And we see before our very eyes, thanks to this judge, the ideology of feminism cutting off its nose to spite its face. And it does it in this way, because feminism has told us for the longest time that a woman 
doesn't necessarily need a man. And in fact, it's gone one step further and said these women can be the men that they've always wanted to be, that that we don't have to have society telling us anymore that that women are this or men are this. The problem is, is that most feminists don't realize that it wasn't society telling you some of that stuff. It was actually your biology telling you that because women and men are different. And there is a difference between women and men. But but moreover, th this is important to, to underscore because ultimately what it has done rather than to make men equal with women is, is it, it has created resentment and animosity toward men so that this woman is now rejoicing over the fact that her sexual escapades have left her with a child without a father in the home. So as you can see, not only has it debilitated women, it's debilitated children, and it's wreaked havoc on the nuclear family. So the, the reality here is even if this woman can't love this man, she can't find it in her heart to truly love her child as much as she should because she hates the very thing that she needs as a woman to actually have a family. Now, if even jokingly, ladies, you've ever discussed how little you need a man or how independent and strong you are, um, and you've even maybe thought about leaving your husband because you're not, quote, getting along. I hope you've stopped long enough to blame yourself for some of the things that you do and to realize that you, in fact, are not independent and you are not strong. Now, here's why I say that. I'm saying that because this is true of all of us, not just women. I'm saying this to all of us. You are weak. I'm weak. We need each other. And we desperately need the opposite sex. I, as a man, need my wife to do the things that a woman does. And you better believe if you're a woman, you desperately need a man in your life to do the things a man does. Namely, you need a man to tell jokes because women, you're not that great at it. And I still get my period. What? Yes. Now, not, not only do we need to do this for our own sake because we're nowhere near as strong and independent as we've been told, and the lie of the culture is that you are independent and you don't need anybody else in your life, and sure, you can split time with your kids if you have to, if it makes you feel better about yourself. Now, there's, there's more to it than that, and, and here's the bigger picture, is the breakdown of the nuclear family is creating a generation of kids without fathers, primarily. Or it's creating a generation of kids who have father absence and mother absence because they're, they're having to split their time with their parents equally. And they don't have both of them in the house at the same time helping them become the well-rounded kids that they need to be. So not only is feminism a bankrupt ideology morally and spiritually for the individual, but it also is for the nuclear family and for children. And so for our kids' sake, we need to reject it at all cost. Now, Obviously, I'm not encouraging abusive relationships, physically abusive relationships to go on or that women need to put up with that kind of nonsense in their home or even that you just suck it up when you have issues. What I'm asking you to do is rather than make a fool of yourself on national television because you're celebrating that you've been liberated from the man that you desperately needed to help you with your child, Maybe you should actually put forth the kind of effort to restore and rekindle the romance and the marriage that you got into to try to help 
fostered that healthy family in the first place. Maybe if you diverted your kind of energy with, instead of getting on TV and posting on social media, but investing in your family, and by the way, taking those screens away from the kids too, maybe if you put that kind of energy, you would actually have a healthy family that you need to actually rejoice about the right things. The fact that your child has a father and your child is growing up in the kind of home that will help him or her have the best success that they could possibly have. But of course, the peddling of this kind of left-wing morality has left most families, at least half of them, without a mother or a father in the home. And as we see this morality continue to proliferate, it continues to not only break down the nuclear family, but also run into other countries in the world and cause issues with them. And this just recently happened in a viral clip of Joshua Mapongo, a Zimbabwean leader, Zimbabwean? Is it Zimbabwean? Zimbabwean? I, I don't know. Anyway, from Zimbabwe, Joshua Mapongo is a leader there, and, and he had some brilliant things to say about not only left-wing gender ideology infiltrating into his country, but the way in which America chooses to use its finances. So here's him saying that. America right now comes to Tanzania, comes to Ghana, comes to Zambia with 16 million. And guess what? 16 million only for Zambia. The 16 million, ask me, what is it for? What is it for? For human rights. Across the river, China and Russia coming to South Africa, ask me for what? For what? For a military training and skills sharing of security. So the Americans are more interested in a transgender, homosexual agenda around the world. They will invest their money and give you money to protect human rights. Russia and China are coming with weapons and militarization strategies so that we can protect ourselves. So I want to say this very loud and clear to the Americans. Continue on your transgender agenda. <laughs> Stay there. Leave us to do politics on the other side. Because what we need right now is not a minority human rights activation. What we need is a societal transformation. And for you as Americans to think that we really envy that when you have an anti-lesbian, anti-gay, LGBT principle, then tourists will drop. Let me correct that once and for all smooth. And cut and clip this, and it must be loud and clear. Are you saying to me that all the tourists are gay? And when you hear that this is a non-gay zone, tourism will suffer. Question number one. Question number two. Are you saying that we don't have a right to expressing ourselves as Africans? Question number three. If democracy means majority rules and majority votes against a principle then why won't you allow that to become law are you saying the minority must manage the majority or the majority must manage the minority then if that whole ideology is wrong then take democracy in a nice black dustbin bag and throw it outside because what you are telling us is there is, is by the people for the people with the people and all the other slogans you hear what democracy represents if we are 10 in the room and nine people say no. And one, people, one person says yes. Democrat says you go with the majority. So if we say we want to make Africa democratic, and the demographics of our democracy says no, then why do you philosophically want to manipulate the will of the majority to favor the will of the minority? So as I mentioned, Joshua Mpanga is not only a thought leader, as you could tell from that clip, but he is also one of my best friends now because of the way he absolutely owned 
the Democratic Party, the leftist gender ideology that's being proliferated in the country, and the way he is willing to speak boldly about just the ridiculousness of what the left is doing in other places around around the world. So let's take his questions in order and try to provide some answers for them. So he he very boldly comes out and says, your threats about how our stance on homosexuality is going to impact tourism in our country are not well-founded because are you actually saying that just because we have these zones where homosexuality is not legal or at least where you cannot proliferate these images and messages as you could in San Francisco where you can put naked men tonguing each other in a Verizon store, uh, just because we have zones where you can't put that kind of prolific sexual ex explicit material in, in public eye, are you saying that that's going to impact tourism? Do you really think we envy you because you are so gay-friendly? And the answer to that is no, because the vast majority of people who are traveling around the country aren't basing their tourism plans simply based upon the politics of the country that they're going in. They just want to know that they're going to be safe, unlike they would be in most blue cities in America. That's where tourism kind of kind of thrives, where people can actually keep their wallets and their life. So that's probably the bigger concern there. So he's got a point, doesn't he? And then he brings up this beautiful, I think most important point, his second point. Do Africans not have the right to express themselves freely without America coming in and shoving their left-wing gender ideology down the throat of, of its people? And here he's got a great, great point. Uh, because the, the left in America are the ones who are absolutely against imperialism and they hate colonialism and believe that America going into different countries to try to export democracy into those countries, that's nothing less than a, a softer kind of neo-colonialism where we may not be going in to conquer those countries and then take that territory as our own for America. We may not be doing that, but but we're, we're doing some neo-colonialism in that we're trying to export our ideas um, of, of freedom into these other places, and we need to leave these other places alone. Well, that is, of course, until it comes to left-wing gender ideology, and then the left is absolutely happy to try to make sure that everybody is gay and or trans around the world. Now, it leaves you scratching your head wondering, why is this demoralizing ideology that's taking so much ground in America being forced on other countries? Could it be that the same effect that it's having in America of controlling people in the way that they think um, and providing money for big pharma and the like, also something that perhaps people on the left feel like they can proliferate in other countries and possibly financially gain from? Follow the money never ceases to be an important rule of thumb for life. Regardless of the reason, the, the point is well-founded. Leave them the hell alone. It's screwing up our country enough. They don't want it in Zimbabwe, nor do they want it in almost any other place in the rest of the world. We used to be a country that wanted to export something at least halfway noble in wanting to try to help other people arrive at a form of democracy because we feel like it... it it pushes people away from totalitarianism. Now we're exporting at the tune of $60 million left-wing gender ideology in the midst of a financial crisis in America right now where we're in tailspin because of the continued policies of Joe Biden. One would think that your tax dollars might be better spent than giving $60 million to Zimbabwe so that they can teach people how to become trans. Regardless, the one thing we know is true 
that other places like China and Russia are exporting military strategies and teaching people how to protect themselves and trying to help other countries become a little bit more friendly with China in ways that are unfortunately way more appealing than what we're trying to do in the rest of the world. And in the meantime, we as a nation are losing our influence on the rest of the world. And you may say, well, Reed, we, we don't believe, or I don't believe that, uh, that we should be the world's police force. Well, here's what I'll have to say to you about that, is you may not think that America is the world's police force or that we shouldn't be the moral leader for the rest of the world, but I will tell you this, if it's not us who's doing it, somebody else will. So I would suggest that perhaps if there is anything admirable in America, that we start exporting those things and not the things that we have been exporting. So needless to say, somebody will fill the gap. And the way that things are going, it's not going to be America. I covered this on the show before in the past, that BRICS, which is Brazil, Russia, India, and China, these countries are starting to form together to leave the dollar behind and start working with trade amongst each other and using the yuan as currency rather than the dollar because they don't trust that America's longevity is is guaranteed because of the things that we're involved in now, like exporting left-wing gender ideology into other countries at the tune of $60 million. They no longer believe that there is faith and credibility in the American economy because of how crazy we've become, and they don't seem to be wrong. Now, the final thing is this, is Mapunga says that uh, democracy is majoritarian rule and people should be able to decide without the influence of America what they want to do in their country. Now, a lot of people online took exception to this and they're like, pure majoritarian rule is, is totalitarianism. And it leads to that, you know, majoritarian rule is Nazi Germany. It's the a greater group of people, you know, shoving their um, their 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 ideas down on 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 a marginalized group of people, the Jews, right? Um, and even as a Christian conservative, I would say, you know, pure majoritarian rule might issue forth if we took a vote right now and we had everybody in America vote and ask what they wanted to do with abortion. We might, as a country, if we all voted on a popular vote basis, we our country might look more like the kind of Roe v. Wade world that it looked like before than it does right now in the post-Roe world because, by and large, statistics tell us at least that the vast majority of people believe in abortion to a degree with some exceptions. Now, I, as a, as a Christian, believe that, that it should be absolutely abolished because you can't take a human life regardless of popular conception. Now, um, conception is kind of like a Freudian slip, I suppose, but uh, uh, of popular perception. And so the idea just simply is this, is that if the people had their way, they may not always do the best thing which is why our country is not a true democracy. This is why Socrates had a problem with true democracy, and he believed that it ended up in demagoguery because the vast majority of people are not informed enough to truly be able to dictate what should happen. So majoritarian rule doesn't work because the peasants are dumb, in other words. But here's the problem with that. You know, I'm not going to advocate for majoritarian rule. I'm just going to advocate for something else. If the peasants are dumb, do we actually have the mistaken belief that our political class is brilliant? Do we actually believe that that's true, that we should have a group of elitists leading our country too? So Mapunga has a, has a point here that, listen, when, when the people have their say, at least you don't have the totalitarians or the elitists trying to shove their left-wing gender ideology down your throat. 
And so I'll just say this, no to majoritarian rule and no to pure democracy. Yes to constitutional republic, but more importantly, a constitutional republic that is that is regulated by a transcendent set of morality. Now, here you might get a little bit alarmed and say, well, who's morality? Well, I, I just have to tell you this. It's going to be somebody's. So perhaps we should go back to kind of John Adams' view of a federalist society, at least in this regard, that he said that our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. In other words, there needs to be a standard of morality that we are held to outside of ourselves so that there's not just a bunch of pol politicians going around letting their political ambitions rule the country. There needs to be a standard of morality that we hold ourselves to that help us understand what is true and what is good so that we can consistently refer back to this thing. Otherwise, we have ourselves fluctuating between elitism, majoritarian rule, and pure democracy where the people who don't even know what they want from one second to the next are leading a country. So yeah, we're neither angels nor demons, and so we need a constitution and we need laws, but we also need morality. We've been operating under the liberal principle that the highest view of morality is consent. As long as you can consent to it, then it should be just perfectly fine. This has brought us to our present age where transgenderism is butchering people and leaving them with lifelong pain. And to our present age where we are discussing what consent actually looks like for a small child and whether or not they can chop off their healthy sex organs. As long as they can consent to it, well then, by God, give Big Pharma all the money they could possibly want and put their kids through college while your kid suffers the rest of their life in bone pain and infertility. The point is this is that if we're actually going to hold together as a society, we might need to at least listen to Mapanga a little bit and return to a moral framework that can truly hold us together. And so it's time for Bible study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. The morality of the left was on full display as a older woman, kind of heavy set in nature, as you'll see here in just a moment, went to her local Target, shoved her cart full of $1,000 worth of goods, and then demanded reparations. Now, as you'll see in the video, she accosted a cashier, then a manager, and then ran and tried to chase a young man who was with security and uh, was then clocked in the face for her trouble. Again, I'll show that here in just a moment, but I posted this on social media with the great words of famous intellectual Thomas Sowell, what is your fair share of that which you did not work for? And of course, the left put their morality on full display for all of us to see. Before we get to that, I'll show you the clip here. Okay, so I I came around and I was like, hey, what can I do for you? Okay. She starts going on this, this spiel about, like, about how, like, I've had a privileged life and she's been disadvantaged and then said that she was asking Target to make reparations for her. And I said, that's not something we can do tonight. If, like, if you need a donation, like... You can okay. call tomorrow, this, I can put you in touch with the HR person, but like, that isn't something I can do for you, like, right now, Terry. Was she screaming at you, or...? Yeah, yes. and, like, that coming up against the soda machine, okay. and then that's when, like, our security person... What were you asking her to do? Reach out to her manager so we can have a larger discussion about how money works 
and how provision works and how it's been working in our community from a very long way. Now, when I posted this clip and added Thomas Sowell's words, uh, you would think that that might be humbling enough for most white liberals, especially young white liberal women, to kind of stop for a moment, think that they probably don't know what is best for black people, and to actually listen a little. However, it doesn't stop some people. And we had one person comment on the the video and said this okay but what about all the work put in by the elders what about black wall street what about the racism preventing hard-working black families from getting mortgages and homes and nice communities in the last decade she's speaking of redlining there i suppose i can understand why the black community is upset and then when white people like this guy speaking of me think it's so black and white which is a great like complete sentence anyway their grandparents worked harder than your grandparents. How she would know that, who knows. Uh, and you reaped benefits from that, even if no generational wealth was passed down. Their communities are not theirs. The Asians run the small businesses in their communities, and this was no accident. Now, if you wonder who the real racists are anymore, I hope you can now see very clearly who they are. Because when I reread this, I thought to myself, my God, what a... I didn't even realize how racist this was to sit there and blame Asians for taking over black businesses and 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 the like. So needless to say, I hope we can be reminded, regardless of if you've been lied to about the, the great switch about the Democratic and the Republican Party and all that kind of stuff, and whether or not the, uh, you believe that the Republican Party of old is actually a Democratic Party of the present. If you believe that nonsense, I've got some real estate I need to sell you. It's very expensive. Uh, but needless to say, uh, regardless of what you think of that, hopefully we see over and over and over again the racism of the left coming out with ridiculous uh, attacks not only upon Asian communities but also against me, marginalized white evangelical male Christian in society. Now, a couple of things about this. Uh, she brings up Black Wall Street and what about the racism preventing people from getting mortgages and all that kind of stuff in the past. And so reparations typically, by the way, is this idea that because of past systemic racism, there have been reverberations that have uh, been felt in the present and have marginalized and disenfranchised uh, specifically black people uh, in the present. And now specifically, this is typically done with racism, right? Like historic racism uh, in slavery specifically has created kind of that that reverberation. And slavery is such a big deal, it creates a big reverberation and it needs to be you know, acknowledged in the present. Now, here are white young liberal women uh, coming to the defense of black people because they can't come to the defense for themselves um, is is kind of situating this more within the civil rights era. So let's even, let's just take that for granted, that civil rights era, kind of Black Wall Street, what happened there, and uh, redlining, what happened there in black communities and all that kind of stuff. Let, let's just kind of look at that for for a moment. So if we're going to take reparations seriously, which you wouldn't do if you listened to the girls on The View, but you actually want to have a thoughtful conversation about this kind of stuff, you certainly wouldn't kind of throw racist remarks about Asians in there, and you wouldn't, you know, throw around ad hominem attacks. You, you, you wouldn't want to do those things because you would want to focus on what reparations really is about and how difficult it actually is to kind of evaluate who needs reparations. So... Do you give it to all black people, even if they migrated from Africa like five years ago and didn't necessarily 
come from a place that was impacted at all by the transatlantic slave trade. I mean, when we talk about an African-American anyway, what are we even talking about? Because, you know, Elon Musk is an African-American now that I think about it, but uh, I don't think I've ever heard him caused, called that. And should we give reparations to him? So the, the, the idea here is how do we truly factor who gets the reparations? Now, most people say, well, we, we need to, to focus on those who have been disenfranchised and marginalized. Now, in order to do that, here's what you would have to do. You would have to be able to have a metric by which you could judge how these individuals were impacted specifically by historic systemic racism. So you would have to know that some of what they're experiencing in the present is as a direct result of some of the things that took place in the civil rights movement or as a direct result of historic racism. Because fact check, the black young man or woman in the present who wasn't alive during the civil rights era and wasn't alive during slavery days cannot necessarily claim that they've been directly impacted in the way that their great, great, probably great grandparents were, right? Because if you want to give reparations to those people who legitimately were disenfranchised and marginalized, you would give it to the people who were directly affected. But now we're moving down the line, not only two generations, three generations at the very least, and probably more, to see who was truly impacted from uh, from historic racism in America. So you would have to know how people are impacted by uh, by those past events in the present to truly be able to assess who gets what. Moreover, you would also have to put in another metric that I think is incredibly important that very few people want to talk about. You would have to put in the metric of personal responsibility. In what way are the decisions that you've made in the present the reason that you might be experiencing marginalization? In other words, did you graduate high school? Did you have a child out of wedlock? Did you go to college? Did you finish college? And then did you pursue a career in that field? Because the people who are willing to do all of the things that I just named are highly likely, regardless of race, to succeed in America. Not to mention that there is upward mobility, regardless of the generational wealth that you were brought into this world and experienced. All of these things are objective facts, so what we have to do is meet the cry for reparations with objective facts so that we can understand who gets what and how much. So how much of the pains that you're experiencing are as a direct result of your own personal decision-making? But I've got a better suggestion, and this is going to probably be the first and last time I quote Andrew Tate, but he's not wrong here. He says, this in a podcast about black and white billionaires. When a black billionaire meets a white billionaire, do you think there's any racism? Do you think they care? He's a billionaire, I'm a billionaire. Both our yachts are in Monaco. He's from Algeria, he stole all the gold. I'm a stock market whatever. There's no racism. The racism's for the poor people. Because if you keep the poor people divided, they can't wake up long enough to do what I did and read about how money works. Because if they do that, we are got big trouble, right? <laughs> then the slaves will wake up. You don't want to deprogram the slaves. So you have to convince the slaves that it's not the monetary system's fault that you're broke. It's not the monetary system's fault that you continue to work for a set number of dollars and the price of houses just keep going up and up and up. It's not the monetary system's fault. It's the white man's fault or the black man's fault or the Asian people's fault, someone else's fault. I think all this stuff, feminism, racism, all these things, I think they're all control mechanisms. They have to keep the poor people fighting amongst each other because if the poor people all unite, then it's much harder to control us. 
Thank you, Andrew Tate. This is how crazy our world's gotten. This tattooed kickboxer or whatever he was makes more sense than most people in our political elitist class. So perhaps we don't need to be talking about reparations at all because perhaps racism in that narrative is nothing more than a divisive attempt to get us at each other's throats so that we don't actually look to our overlords who want to constantly busy us with these kind of things and keep us fighting for scraps so that we don't actually take personal responsibility for our own finances and learn how money works. Because if we're divided fighting amongst ourselves, we're too busy to actually focus on the things that can bring us into prosperity in in the present, because it truly is inarguable that if we're going to truly better ourselves, America is the best place for you to be able to do that, regardless of your race. But there's one further point here. Andrew Tate is encouraging us to escape the matrix that has been created for us by our political overlords and by those who are in elite classes by saying the black billionaire and the white billionaire aren't having conversations about historic racism. They're enjoying their wealth and living in the lap of luxury and taking advantage of the fact that they're not worried about those nonsense things that keep them from personal responsibility. So, so they've escaped the matrix, but, but have they? Because there's another matrix waiting for you on the other side of the peasant matrix, which is the materialism matrix. Is material wealth and goods ultimately going to truly fulfill the heart of a man or a woman? And I think we have to realize that there are matrixes everywhere to follow the analogy to its fullest, fullest extent. Thankfully, not Keanu Reeves movies everywhere, although I like John Wick. But, but there are matrixes everywhere, and so I really think it's fair to suggest that as much as we talk about escaping the matrix and thinking for ourselves, we do want to do those things, and we want to be red-pilled, as it were, and be God-based. But the truth is, is that no matter where you are in life, you're going to be in a matrix, or if you want to put it this way, you're going to be operating under a worldview. See, the person who thinks they've thrown off the shackles of Christian fundamentalism and Christian evangelicalism in America, and they think for themselves now, actually are just merely operating under the principles of secular humanism. So congratulations, you've graduated one matrix so that you can move on to the next. And so the real question is this, if we're not really escaping the matrix, but jumping from matrix to matrix, which matrix do you want to live in and do you want to go to? And which matrix has proven itself throughout history, regardless of what some of the people within that matrix have done, has proven itself throughout history to actually be beneficial to you and to society as a whole? And I would argue that matrix is the matrix of scripture and Christian ethics and values. Ultimately, if you lived your life that way, even if you didn't believe in the God who proposed these ideas, you would benefit yourself far greater than any other matrix in society. At the end of the day, I would encourage you to realize that the wager that you're going to make with this life really matters. And if you're going to put your faith in something, you better put it in something outside of yourself in a much more grander morality that can help us come together rather than the morality that we're constantly hearing about from the left that is not only mentally, but spiritually bankrupt. If you want to elevate that matrix, I heartily encourage you toward a Christian matrix. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, go with God.